This is the instruction you need to become the person you want to be. Uh, the Bible says that people perish because there's a lack of wisdom, that you don't, you don't understand exactly what it is that you don't know until you don't know it. So uh, what I have intended to do this, uh, this calendar year, since the beginning of the year, is I've been preaching one continual message. I just stop when I'm uh, at a stopping point, and then we pick back up, which means a lot of the things that I have said in the previous installments and a lot of things I'm going to say today and a lot of things going forward for the next four weeks is going to be repetitive, not, not in the context I'm going to say the same thing over and over again, but I'm just building precept upon precept and line upon line. And a lot of what I'm talking about, what I talked about last week, what I'm going to mention this week, and then the next four weeks, it's all going to build up. Uh, and, and, and you saw the props last week. We're going to use them uh, throughout this, the, the rest of these several weeks. And, and they're all going to be talking about the same concept that we talked about last week. Because this is the culmination of what we've been talking about. We've been, we've been trying to increase our prayer life because we believe we're a church where anything's possible. And yet things that we believe is not, uh, that is possible, we don't see it happening. There's a reason why our faith is not the way it needs to be. And our prayer life is not as powerful as it needs to be. We've talked about things that are hindrances to us. The word that God gave me for this congregation this year was unhindered. He wants us to lead an unhindered life. And, and you start shouting about that when I say unhindered because you think, woo, we're going to start seeing miracles. But there's a reason why we don't. There's a lot of reasons why we don't. Because the hindrances are not just that God's not showing up and doing what he's supposed to because God is steady. The Bible says unmovable, unshakable, steadfast. God is always God. That he doesn't step down his power progression. He is always available with full capacity. So if God is always able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can imagine or even think, if that's God's level of capacity, then who's got the problem? We do. So we're the ones living hindered lives. We're the ones that's stopping God's power from being released onto this earth, which, by the way, is the whole reason we're here. You ain't here because you're cute. He didn't leave us here to just be uh, somewhere for, for saints to come and uh, gather in huddled masses on Sunday mornings. He left us here to be a witness to those that need to know what we have in the building. But that witness needs to include all the things that God says he can do. So why isn't that happening? It's, it's hindrances. So we've talked about the hindrances that we have. And I, I got flesh bob over here. I got flat bob. Flat bob's not going to make an appearance this week. Because we're going to spend all of our time talking about flesh bob over here. He, he's still got his promise of victory gear on so you know he's a Christian. Okay. This is how we know that our flesh has been redeemed. Because we have a, a fish on our car. And we got a Bible scripture tattoo on our wrist. So we know we've been redeemed. We're going to talk about this guy again this week. I'm going, to, I'm going to mention him at length. But, man, I hate this Sunday. I hate them messing with the time. I wish they would pick. I don't care what time they pick. Just pick one. And just be. Why, why, do, we, why do we have to do this bipolar mess every year, twice a year? Why do we have to do this? It makes me nuts because people sleep in. Or then I like the next one because people show up an hour early. And they're like, where is everybody? But, uh. <laughs> But, but it's, it's, it drives me nuts. So uh, I, I know that you're going to be running behind a little bit mentally and emotionally, so I'm going to talk slow. 
But I need you to get what we're talking about because I've told you at the end of this year what I'd like to do by the end of the year is I'd like to have all of these sermons I've preached uh, from the beginning of the year through Easter because this will end at, at the week before Easter. I'd like to have it all in manuscript form and by the end of the year be able to put it in your hands so you can review this material. Because I told you last week, I believe that the Spirit spoke to me and told me that these five sermons are the most important sermons some of you are ever going to hear in your life. Because you have been fighting things that you don't see. You have been swinging in battles your whole life and never knew why you were fighting what you're fighting. We're going to build this week, next week, we're going to talk about specific battles you're fighting. The next week, a different set. And the, de the next week, a different set. And every week, it's going to go a little bit deeper, a little more closer to home. And I promise you, everybody in this room is going to be hit by something in the next four weeks. Amen? So, so this, this morning we're going to talk about fighting the infection. That's why we're talking about flesh bulb over here. We've got flat bulb, we've got flesh bulb, and we've got light bulb. But uh, this week we're going to be talking about fighting the infection. Now when I was a kid, a little kid, we had about three channels on a real clear day. And, and it had to be a clear day because all we got was whatever the antenna could pick up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, y'all were rich people. Yeah, we had, a, uh, we had a cable that ran all the way up to the top of the mountain in, in the woods, and, and the antenna was tied to a tree, and sometimes if it snowed real bad, the antenna would fall down, and one of us would have to go up there and fix it. And so we got about three channels on a real good day. So, so when I was a kid, it wasn't like it is today where kids tell mom and dad what they're going to do, and, and they run the house. When I was a kid, kids shat, just, they, they just shut up, and they just did what was told. And in the mornings, I would get to watch TV. By the afternoon, my mom watched something she called her stories. You fancy folks call them soap operas. But my mom would be watching her stories, and in the evening, a kid didn't have a chance at the TV because they'd be watching the news, they'd be watching uh, uh, Wheel of Fortune, and then there was shows like Dallas that would come on, stuff I didn't want to watch. And my parents had the TV. So in the mornings, before they sent me out to play or, uh, or, or before school was the only time I had to watch TV. So we had three channels. Two of them was always news or, or stuff I wasn't interested in. So I would watch PBS. And PBS would have stuff like the electric company and Sesame Street. And, uh, so, so on a clear day, I could watch PBS. But there was this ridiculous show. Please don't go home and Google it and watch it on YouTube. I don't recommend it at all. But it was all I could watch when I was a kid sometimes. We didn't have 24-hour-a-day Nickelodeon channels back then. There was this ridiculous show called Mon Monty Python. Well, I can tell I wasn't the only one stuck watching that mess. Please don't go watch that and say, Pastor said this was appropriate, because it's not. It's not. It's not appropriate, you shouldn't be watching it. Not even as an adult, but I certainly should have been watching it as a little kid. But one thing, that it, there was a, it was Monty Python and this flying circus. And sometimes they would show us movies, Monty Python. And so I remember watching The Holy Grail. And, and, and there was this ridiculous scene where King Arthur gets in a sword fight with a guy called the Black Knight. And the Black Knight just would not quit. And they're in a sword fight, and, my, and King Arthur cuts off both arms of the black knight and the black knight still wants to fight and when he he says both of your arms are missing he says no they're not and he looks over this side there's an arm and over that side there's an arm he said no they're not tis but a flesh wound <laughs> too much pride to admit that he had something fatally wrong it's one thing for you to resist admitting when you got 
shortness of breath and pains in your chest and going to the doctor. But there is a lot more damaging stuff going on in this room right now. Because some of you have spiritual flesh wounds that you ignore every day. And you don't do anything about them. And you come to church every Sunday dragging them flesh wounds in here. Come up to the altar. You cry tears. I put oil on your head. The prayer team prays over you. You get up and you go back home. And you take the same wounds with you that you brought in here. And nobody's confronted. You're just like the black knight. I just got a flesh wound. And you're missing stuff you're supposed to have. You're losing battles, and you keep thinking you're okay because of where you are geographically on Sunday. But can I tell you, it's quiet in here already. This is a bad start if you're already quiet. I ain't got personal yet. This is going to be a rough Sunday. There are people in this room that will not admit what is spiritually killing them. My intention over the next four weeks is to shine a big, bright light Onto you and your issues. I'm not talking to your neighbor. I know the joke for, for 25 years has been, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to your neighbor. I'm talking to you. Because you need to get loose. We need to get loose. There are some things that I have been carrying my entire life. I have been battling battles spiritually and emotionally that I didn't even know what it was I was fighting against. And it's caused me to make bad choices. It has caused me to hurt myself relationally. It's caused me to keep my faith at a level where I don't expect miracles to happen. It's kept me from praying effectively. It's kept me from having good, close, personal friendships. I've sabotaged myself. Am I alone in this room? Because it's awful quiet. I have sabotaged jobs, I've sabotaged opportunities, I've sabotaged a lot of people that would have blessed me and helped me because I never felt like I was good enough, I never felt like I deserved any good thing, and there's a reason why I feel this way. And I cannot blame the government, and I cannot blame my mom and my dad and the way I was raised, or I can't blame all of the things that I have no control over because when it comes down to it, and I'm going to show you over the next several weeks, we have made choices based on wounds that we have. And if we can heal the wounds, maybe we can make better choices. If we can get these wounds fixed, if we'll stop being so prideful and admit, i got some stuff in me, then maybe, maybe you'll have the strength to stop this vicious cycle of bad decisions and have a different life. Would anybody enjoy that maybe for, yeah. So if we're going to live a life that is unhindered, we need to take this seriously. And as, and as much as we like to read the Bible's success stories and, and focus on those successes, uh, we like to re- go over to Hebrews and read about the hall of faith and all those giants of the faith in there. But the Bible is also filled with a lot of people who failed. The, there are stories in the Bible that is going to back up everything that I'm going to preach to you over the next several weeks. Let's just begin with a man named King Solomon. You know King Solomon because uh, he was anointed by God. He was the wisest man who ever lived. He was the richest man who ever lived. He had all the potential in the world. Somebody say amen. He reigned over Israel at the most prosperous time in Israel's history. He was actually the one that built the city of Jerusalem into a world-class city. He wrote three books of your Bible, including the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, which is the book 
that is definitively where we get all of our wisdom scriptures from. Proverbs is the book I go to and refer to when I need wisdom for how to live my life. But I want to show you something about Solomon. He wrote about something that he didn't live. I'm talking about flesh wounds. Solomon wrote about men being faithful to their wives. And he had 700 of them. And 300 side chicks. But he wrote about how a man should take care of the wife from his youth and how he should be committed to that relationship. He wrote things that you and I still use today because it's good stuff. It's accurate. But he didn't live what he wrote. And there's a lot of people that come to church every Sunday who have a profession of faith about Jesus. I showed you last week that we can intellectually agree with Scripture. I had the mind out here. The brain was like, and you can intellectually agree with Scripture, but if it doesn't get where? Uh, Jesus said you cannot doubt in your... So if it doesn't move from your to your faith... Is not going to accomplish anything. But I'm, not, I'm going to show you some things today. We're going to talk about this a lot. Yeah, that's where it's getting you in trouble. You ought to hate Valentine's Day at the end of this sermon series. So King Solomon had lust. He talked about how a man ought to guard his heart against all things in Proverbs. He says a man should guard his heart. And he had lust. Uh-huh. So, so, so the thing that he professed, he did not practice. We're going to break the ice. Look at your neighbor and say, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to pick on Solomon all by himself. Because Solomon had a daddy. His name was King David. And David was anointed. Say yes. And David could sing and play instruments, say yes. And David was a great writer, say yes. But David had a lust issue, say yes. And David's lust issue passed down to his son. And David saw Bathsheba on the other rooftop. When all the other kings went to war, David went up on his rooftop and he saw a UFO. An undressed female object. Over on the other rooftop, she was taking a bath. David looked. Somebody say, that's not a sin. You can't help what your eyes see. As a preacher, I thank God for that. Because sometimes when I'm out there, all y'all are looking at me. I'm looking back at you. And I see some stuff. There's some stuff I see I can't unsee. As badly as I want to. Once it's in here, I, 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 I can't. I want to, but I can't. It's in there. But I, I, didn't, I didn't ask for it. <laughs> I, I didn't flip the channel and say, I'm going to watch this. So I've seen some stuff. So, so, so looking at it is not your problem. The Bible says he looked upon her. It's that second take that will get you. It's, it's when you see something and something happens. There's a spark. There's a connection. There's an intrigue. I'm going to talk about this today. When David looked at Bathsheba, he saw something that 
sparked something. He saw something that sparked something. Do you see a correlation? Something hit his eye that, uh, that made some other part of him feel a certain way. Y'all are quiet. Y'all don't know where I'm going with this. Where you think I'm going, I'm going. I think, I think we're mostly adults in here, and the ones that aren't adults, hurry up and send them to Explosion Kids. Because this is going to be grown folk talking here today, okay? David failed morally because something he saw sparked something in him. That's why some of you need to get off Instagram. Some of you need to, my God in heaven. There's some apps on your phone. If i got to start calling them out, I will. That you need to eliminate. Some of you need to take the word relationship off of your goal board. You're bad at it. You need to fix some stuff before you... They make you take a test to drive a car. Some of you need to take a relationship test before you jump back into one. You have crashed so bad. So many of these things you call relationships. At some point, there should be an exam. So, so we need to, there are some apps on your phone you need to take off. There's some things that you've been looking at. There's some things you've been entertaining, and you need to stop it. Why? Because your heart can't take it. You ought to know by now that this thing in you has some flesh wounds. There are some things that you get into this and then you can't get free from. It starts that same old, oh, oh look at him. He is so fine. And I am so lonely. When a man loves a woman. What are you doing? Do you see how big I had to make this thing? You know yours isn't really this big, right? But you make it feel that way, don't you? Yeah, because this thing's what's leading you around. You're, you're like David. You're over here grabbing a can of cream corn, and all of a sudden he walks by, and this thing starts going. You say, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You mistreat me. You don't love Jesus. You're not heading the way I'm heading you. I'm done with you. And then he slides into your DMs and this thing's like, but look what he said. Look, look. And you say, I don't want to look. No, look, look. And if you're led around by this, no wonder you keep, you keep coming to church. But you end up, instead of ending up in a progressive state of maturation in the spirit, you keep ending up in the same mess over and over. Am I preaching good this morning? Some of you know I'm telling the truth, and you just don't want to say amen. So there's dysfunction in all of us, and it usually begins right here. Last week, we had the brain, we'll get the brain out again later, but I'm going to talk about him today. I just want to focus on, on this. I told you last week that some of you have come to church and gotten saved, and your spirit came alive. And for the first time, your flesh was something other than the flesh. Now, there's, we talked about last week, there's a war, right? There's a war going on between this Bob and that Bob. 
And there's two bridges. We don't need flat bob this week. But there's two bridges that bridge these two. And this is one of the bridges. And it's the most deadly bridge. Okay? So here's what Paul says about it. I told you we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. Paul says this. I know that nothing good lives in Bob. That's what he said. I mean, that's a paraphrase. But that's what he means. That is in my sinful nature. That's him. That's, that's flesh Bob. I want to do what's right, but I can't. Is there a witness in the house? Uh-huh. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, and Bob does it anyway. Okay? So, so, so you, we're not perfect. We're a church where we believe nobody's perfect. Okay? And, and neither was Paul. Paul says in verse 20, But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's Bob. I told you last week, if I tell off my wife, I'm the bishop. I don't do that. I don't act that way. He does that. (laughs) He remembers everything she's ever done. That he don't like. He's got a good memory. My forgetter works good. Bob's forgetter never fails. As a matter of fact, if he don't remember it just right, he'll just make it up to where it makes him look better and her look worse. This is the guy that lives inside of me that makes me want to quit every Monday. This is the guy that when I get a text from one of you, I don't even want to read it. This is the guy That when I see something on Facebook that I know was written by a moron. This is the Bob that wants to go tappity, 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 tappity. And tell them about themselves. This guy right here. See, I'm me. I'm saved. Not me. I'm saved. And see, Bob's got this Church of God Bob gear on. He's saved. He comes to church. My wife said, can you put a shirt on him? I said, I was going to put a popcock shirt on him, but then he wouldn't look like the flesh. Then he'd just be shirted Bob. So we need, we need him in the flesh, and it's not appropriate for me to do it. Nobody wants to see that, so we have to use Bob. Listen to what verse 21 says. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my Oh, yeah. You said the prayer. You come to church. The fact that you are here today tells me that there is something in you that looks like this. That you just love the Word. You've got it in your heart. You have the love in your heart. But that ain't all that's in there. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying, I love the Lord's uh, Word with all my yeah, say that word again. It's heart. Uh-huh. I love it with all my heart. And it ain't going to lay there. So we're just going to flatten it. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my... This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. 
Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful Bob, I am a slave to sin. Paul just did something most of you are unwilling to do. He confessed that he has struggles with sin. Some of you under the sound of my voice, your first sinful problem is you got too much pride. You have so much pride that you will not admit, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that relationship went south because I'm an idiot. Oh, did you hear how quiet it went? Y'all was laughing and having a good time, and I said, idiot. He said, not me, not me. Well, I'm quite offended, Pastor. Listen, most of us have a problem, and it's in here. I love the Lord's Word here, but I got some other stuff in here that's causing me difficulties because I can love something that I do not obey. I love the Lord's Word in my heart, but I also have pride in here. And the pride is keeping me from admitting, number one, I got some problems. I have an infection. This last wound of mine. I'm not perfect. I have misapplied. Hear me. Let me. I'll just testify. Y'all get mad when I talk about you. You laugh at me when I'm self-deprecating. So let me just self-deprecate. I've been saved over 20 years. Been preaching the gospel for over 20 years. And I have preached things from the pulpit that I've had to go back later, years later, after I matured some, after I studied some more, and recanted what I used to preach. Hello? Because some of the stuff I used to be stuck on and was convinced, and I did it from a right place. I did it with a right heart because I thought that's what it meant. And years later, after I did some living and some praying and some more study, I'd be like, that ain't what that means at all. And I've had to go back, but I have to be big enough to do that. I can't stick my feet down in the sand and say, oh, no, bless God, I have to be right. And I have to make everybody think I'm right. No, I'll tell you first, I'll be the only honest Christian every Sunday in here to tell you I'm not perfect. I have some things in here that I want to get out. And some stuff out here that I'd love to get in here. That's what Paul is talking about. He said, I'm fighting this infection. I got an infection in my heart. And it's all the stuff that I can't use or that's bringing me down. But I need this word of God that I love. I need it to be the guide for me. So Paul confesses bluntly and honestly that he has a struggle. That's what he says. I have the desire to do what's good, but not the ability. Amen, Paul, preach it. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep doing. If you're interested in that, don't miss the next four weeks. Because I'm going to show you exactly why we do that. I, don't have, I told you this is too much for one sermon. So I'm having, to sh- I'm having to break this sermon up in bite-sized pieces. Over the next four weeks, that's what we're going to figure out. Why we keep doing the things we don't want to do. We know we're not supposed to. I know I'm not supposed to do that. Why do I keep doing that? You'll find out. I don't have time to get into that. But I'm building a foundation. Recovery begins when you realize that there is a destructive force at work in you. 
and you are powerless to overcome it in your own strength. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to stop doing it, because you're not going to stop doing it. Because the real problem is not the things around you. It's not the economy. It's not your boss. It's not your spouse. The real problem is the sin in me. The real problem is the flesh wounds that I have and most of us refuse to deal with. Why? Because it is easier for flesh Bob to blame her for his attitude than to work on it. It's easier for me to blame Washington for all the things wrong in my life than for me to get down to it and say, why do I react that way every time something happens that I don't like? Why It's easier for me to blame my boss for holding me back than it is for me to set my alarm 30 minutes earlier so I'm actually on time. Oh, we're not going to get no help there. You better stand right there, Bob. He, they don't like your preaching. See, when we don't understand where our weaknesses come from, we act like a dog chasing our tail. We're making a lot of commotion, but we're not going anywhere. We come to church, we spin around, we leave Jesus tracks on the ceiling, we shout, we dance, we clap our hands, we know all the songs, and we leave the building the same way we walked into it. And we made a lot of noise, but not a lot of progress. And this is what we're preaching about, because the Bible gives us two sources of our struggle with failure and sin. And the first, the first thing that we struggle with is right here, our heart. You know what Jesus says about this thing? Do you, do you know, do you know, look at your neighbor, look how sweet they look, look how they smell good this morning. I mean, look at them. Hey, if you married them, remember why, because it's been a minute, you might have forgot. And you think, man, their heart is so sweet, I love their heart. Listen to what Jesus says about it in Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. From within, out of your Hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. That just about does it, don't it? I mean, that's just about the fall of all of us is somewhere on that list. All of these evil come out of the inside and defile you. Did you see what Jesus... That's in red, by the way. Read your Bible. Okay, that's not the gospel according to Misham. That's, that's, that's Jesus. He says, out of your own hearts come these things. Okay? Your heart determines your choices you make. Your heart. This is, this is the thing that inspires the mind. The mind, I told you last week, is the steering wheel for your life. It has been pointed in different directions and has taken you somewhere. But where do you think it gets its inspiration from? You think, I'm going to read all these books and I'm going to become more educated. Yeah, but it won't help you if this thing's sitting in the driver's seat. Because this will override education. Because, <laughs> because your mind will have all the education it needs about that skunk. That you keep bringing home. Your mind has not forgot everything he said about you. Your mind has not forgot when he laid hands on you. Your mind has not forgot that he cheated on you. Your mind has not forgot that he don't even love Jesus. Your mind hasn't forgotten none of that. But this thing overrides. See how quiet it gets every time I make a good point? 
This thing, if it, it will override what your mind knows. Your lying eyes and this lying heart will tell your mind, shut up and be quiet. Because he makes me feel good. Listen, Proverbs 4 and 23 says, To guard your heart in all you do. Solomon wrote it but didn't follow it. You can't get casual with this heart thing because the word also says that your heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, your heart lies to you. It rationalizes what it wants. It makes excuses for what it really, really likes. It justifies your decisions and your actions. This is a terrible life coach. Because it gets stuck on usually all the wrong stuff. And keeps you away from all the right stuff. The second part of your struggle with sin. First is the heart. The next one is this thing. The flesh. The sin of the flesh. Can I get real for a little bit? You say you haven't been yet? No, not yet. I've been tiptoeing. Can I jump on in? Listen to what the Bible says. Verse 18 said, I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh. So the flesh is the part of you that wants to live for you. What what did Paul tell us about this guy that now lives inside of us? He loves the Lord. This guy? (laughs) No. No, 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 no. He's the body that hits the floor. In the name of Jesus. Bob hits the floor in the flesh. But make no mistake about it. Well, Bobby here does not love the Lord. He loves what feels good, what tastes good, what smells good, what feels good in the moment. The flesh cannot be tamed. It cannot be controlled. That's why it can't be in control. Ooh, it's quiet in here. See, you are either one of two places in this room this morning. And I don't mean we're in West Virginia. You are either in the flesh or in the spirit. And you can be doing both at the same time. Is this helping anybody? Because listen to what Paul said. He said, I want to do right, but I don't do that. And the stuff that I said I was done with, that's the stuff I'm doing. I'm fighting this infection. I got this, I got this weird thing going on in my heart that I, I love the Lord's word in here. But I got some other stuff in here that I'm fighting off. I'm trying to, Paul is struggling with this. He hasn't given into it. He's, he's, he's battling. He says, why do I feel this way? There's this weird thing going on where I love the Lord. The reason is because this part of me does love the Lord. But this part of me loves the way her perfume makes me feel. This part of me loves it when the boss turns his back and I can take 30 minutes that I ain't supposed to take. This part of me loves it when 
I can cheat, lie, and steal my way into another couple dollars. This, this part of me doesn't love the Lord. This part of me loves feeding me. You're either in the spirit or in the flesh. You can walk in this and live in this. Or you can go back between the two because they're not mutually exclusive. See, I know what the Bible says. But if I'm walking in the flesh, I'm going to make an excuse to do what I want to do. And what's so dangerous about walking in the flesh is because you can be religious and be in the flesh. That's good preaching, preacher. Because this thing is alive in me, I can be walking in the flesh and speaking in the Spirit. I can be preaching sermons in the flesh because I can be speaking out of that while I'm walking in this. Oh, don't look at me in that tone of voice because you do it too, you hypocrite. Because you have come into this church and churches just like this one, your whole Christian walk, and sang praises out of this guy while you walking. This guy was tearing it up last night at the club. Woo, woo. This guy took the walk of shame home from church. This guy remembers everything that I was doing last night. Coming here singing, lifting holy hands, singing unto you. What? What? How do you do that? Because part of you does love the Lord. Is this resonating with anybody? Part of you is in love with your father. But part of you, Paul says, don't want to do right. And if I give in to this guy, I'm tormented, Paul said. Because I'm constantly battling against myself. Because part of me wants to do right. And part of me, whoo, whoo. Part of me could care less. Part of me wants to sleep in on Sunday because I tore it up on Saturday. See, we are controlled by our appetites. And if this guy is the one that I'm willing to let eat, why do you think Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness... Because this, this part of you, this part of you wants righteousness. This part of you wants to feed on holiness. This part of you wants to get closer to your Father. And if you spend more time with that, if you spend more time feeding Him and get off of Instagram where you're feeding Him, if you would do that, if you would do that, you would find that this battle, this infection, that you are constantly, these flesh wounds that you are constantly fighting against become less and less problematic for you. Because you are controlled by your appetite. So if you're controlled by the wrong appetite, change your diet. Pastor is mean this morning. We ain't even got mean yet. 
now we're about to get me. Because now we're going to talk about the four stages of sin. James, the brother of Jesus, in his book, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, gives us the four stages of the cycle of sin. See, everything in God has cycles. There's a season, there's a season to reap, there's a season to sow, there's a season for laughing, there's a season for crying. Everything works in cycles, right? We, this is a cyclical relationship. Well, sin has a cycle. And you may not know that, but for the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about why sin exists in our lives, why it's so embedded in some of us, and why, no matter what we do, we can't kick some of this stuff. We haven't been able to be successful in getting rid of it. We're going to, we're going to deal with that in great detail. But this, for this, the rest of the time I have with you this morning, oh my God, which is not long, 41 minutes already. <laughs> I'm on like page two of my notes. Four stages to the cycle of sin. James 1, 14 and 15. Temptation comes. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. But temptation comes, what? From our own desires. Now pay attention to the words, which entice us and drag us away. These desires, whose desires were they? Ours, they weren't the devil's desires, right? These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now this is the premise for what I'm going to spend the next four weeks talking about. There's four stages, we're going to get to them this morning. The first stage is, look at that word, he says entice us. So the first stage is enticement. What does, what does enticement mean? It's simply this. James uses a Greek word that is actually a fishing term. All you guys in here that like to fish. Chris, this is good for you. How do you get a fish to bite? You got to throw the right bait. And there's different bait that attracts different fish. Every, every bait's not good for every single fish. So, so, so some of you will be tempted, enticed, by bait that everybody else won't be touched by or phased by. That, that's why I can't preach about your temptations because you own them. Listen to what James said. He said, my own temptations. That means they're inside of me. And what entices you may not entice me. Some of you may walk up to a salad bar and say, I just can't quit eating this stuff. That is not my problem. Okay, I, I'm not enticed by that at all. Like, I can walk right by it 90 times. But if you put free steak out, now we got a problem. So, so, <laughs> if you put donuts out and say, all you can eat, now i got a problem. I was not enticed by that Brussels sprout bar at all. Did not tempt me in the least. So, so here's the thing. The temptations are inside of you because... The devil knows what bait you like. And, and how do you get a fish to bite? Here's how. The first step, I'm talking about how you, how you come to church and you walk in this guy. 
when that guy is trying to get free. He's trying to get loose because that guy wants to lay hands on the sick and see them get well. That guy wants to see your children saved and serving the Lord. That guy wants you to have the scriptures hidden in your heart. That guy wants you to pray until mountains pick up and move out of your way. That guy wants to get loose. But this guy says, sit down and shut up. I'm running things here. Because what I like is what I like. What I have an appetite for. And if my appetite is more powerful than my appetite for my father. Paul says you're going to go through four stages before you ultimately end up in a bad place. And the first one is, here, fishy, 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 fishy. Every day you live, and as soon as you get out of bed, the devil is walking around going, what are you in the mood for today? What do you mean? Let me jig it a little bit. You, are you hitting top water today? Or you want, oh, I bet you like some of these catfish chunks. A catfish hunk. Oh, you want six-packs abs. All right, here you go, honey. He's right next door mowing his grass without a shirt on. We don't know why, but we don't care. We ain't mad about it. Oh, you've not been getting any attention from your wife at home? Well, we don't care why the neighbor is out on her back deck sunbathing. Bathsheba is out there because that's what she wants to do. We ain't upset with her. We're just going to sit here and watch her. Enticement. He's throwing what you are hungry for. Listen, I'm not trying to get all worldly up in here, but he ain't bringing me Albert Mitchum. Forget Bishop. He ain't bringing some guy to hit on me. He ain't wasting his time. I got no appetite for it. I got news for you. Had a lot of problems in my life. Dudes was never one of them. So the devil's not wasting his time. He's not just trying. See, when I go fishing, I got to try everything. I got to try chartreuse. I got to try purple. I got to try long ones. I got to try short ones, top water, sinkers. I got to jig them because I don't know what they're after. The devil knows what you're after. Think about it like this. When I was a kid, they came out with something called radio-controlled cars. Now they have drones. Have you ever noticed how remarkable it is that you can hold a controller in your hand and something could be 20 feet away from you, 2,000 feet away from you, and you can be controlling its actions from a handheld device because there's something in the controller that has found a connection in the object. And the devil don't have to be in your house to be pulling the strings in your life. Ah, oh, this is good. See, see, you, you can be controlled by your enemy because all he has to know is where your connection is. All he has to do to be able to control you and manipulate you and change your mind and cause you to do the things you don't want to do is he has to know what's under your hood. What gets your motor running? What gets you excited? Because I'm promising you this. If following Jesus with all your heart, mind, and soul gets your motor running, he will send you a distraction. Because if you really want to do right, you're going to say 
crazy stuff like this. God, if it is not your will, I don't want Joey in my life. And this thing is in here going, what you talking about, Willis? Are you dumb or what? You've been waiting for a man for how long? And you finally got one and you're going to be telling God to cut him out of your life? You need to hush. Child, hush. This thing will start preaching at you because the enemy knows that this is how he can control you. He knows that his remote control is connected to this under your hood. And whatever it takes to get your motor running in the wrong direction, if that's all it takes, he knows how to entice you. Look at your neighbor and say, don't become enticed. Uh huh. Because here's what happens. When you start looking at the bait, you need to learn how to run. Joseph was attacked by a woman who wanted, more than one time, she said, come sleep with me. He said, I'm not going to do it. She grabbed hold of him. He left his coat. <laughs> you can have the coat, but you can't have me, lady. Some of y'all need to learn how to run when you see temptation, when you, when you see the, the bait, because here's what happens. The longer you look at it, the longer you stare at it, this thing starts making excuses for why it can work. The longer you study it, you think, well, maybe we could do This thing just keeps on, keeps on, because the longer you stare at it, the longer this will preach louder. Because, and and, and it, here's what happens. You start looking at the bait, thinking you can enjoy the bait and avoid the hook. Can I tell you too, Pastor, you don't know what it's like to be single these days. Pastor, you don't know what it's like to be a recovering addict. Pastor, you, you don't know what it's like to have grown up the way I grew up. Pastor, you don't know what it's like to, my circumstances are different. Are they though? Let, let me explain something to you. The Bible is true in every man a liar. Okay? And here's what the Bible says about the things that tempt you. There's three. Three. Not 33. Not 1,003. Three. And they've been the same three since the garden. You say, these kids today have temptations we never knew. Do they though? Now, okay, now listen. We didn't have vaping when I was a kid. If you was going to smoke when I was a kid, you had to stink up the whole house, the car, your clothes, your hair. Okay? You didn't have porn on your phone right beside your Bible app. You had to embarrass yourself, walk into a 7-Eleven, ask some seedy guy behind the counter, say, can I have that one? But the sin hasn't changed. Just the access has. So kids have different access, but it's the same temptations. Because 1 John tells us what our three temptations are. You ready? Oh, Bob here's about to get, well, he ain't going to get delivered. Poor, poor Bob. 
He's the only person I've ever brought to church and knew for a fact was not going to get delivered. Here's what the three sins are. You ready? There's three of them you will ever face in your life. Number one, the lust of the flesh. That's what I feel like doing. Mm, that, that's what feels good. She, that, mm, th- th- this is the one, this is the first one this thing gets excited by. You really want to make it do this? Lust of the flesh makes it do this. Because the touch, the wink, the flirt, the flattery. We're in trouble. Lust of the flesh, what I feel like doing. Lust of the eye. What looks good? Mm-hmm. She is F I N E fine. She's hot with two T's. And the pride of life. Pride of life is when I think I don't need God. Or his word, or anybody else to tell me how to live my life. Pride of life is when you know intellectually what the word says, but you're being controlled by this thing, and you tell the brain, shut up. Nobody's going to tell me how to live. If you ever wonder what the pride of life is, it's not trying to be Donald Trump. It's not trying to be a multimillionaire, Jeff Bezos. or No, no, the pride of life has very little to do with those aspirations. You have the pride of life. I have the pride of life. And I don't aspire to be a billionaire. But the pride of life is simply this. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And there are times, if this thing's in control, I don't even want God telling me what to do. I know what the Word says, but you've got to understand. Anytime you start qualifying what the Word has to say to match your lifestyle... Guess who's wrong? This is liberating stuff. I, I hope you're, I've, I've just about preached myself out of chicken and into steak. So the devil comes to Jesus and says, I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? That's the pride of, that's, 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 that's the lust of the, flesh I know you're hungry won't you feed yourself Jesus said without hesitation he didn't take the bait you can't stare at the bait or you'll try to figure out how you can get the bait and avoid the hook so he didn't stare at it. he says man shall not live by bread alone but by the words that come out of God's mouth so you, you have to be able to shut the devil up they, I, I would say something but y'all would be putting it on TikTok and make me sound like I was cussing in church so I'm not going to say it Listen, what he does, what the devil does is he presents you. He come to Jesus. He said, hey, you can fix how you feel. Turn these stones into bread and you will feel better. He does the same thing to you. He comes to you and he says, you can fix how you feel. Oh, you don't believe me. He'll come to a lonely person and says, you can fix this. If you're financially struggling and you love the Lord and you're financially tight, the first thing the devil will tell this guy is, I can't afford to give, I can't afford to tithe. You can fix the way you feel. 
If you are lonely, listen, every marriage is not love connection. And the longer you go, it's like lost connection. And the devil knows it. And what he will begin to do is say, you can fix this. Some of you, he'll come to you because he knows which bait you want. Some of you will come to you and say, won't you just leave? Won't you go down to the courthouse? It is so easy to get divorced. Won't you just get out of this thing? Others of you who he knows won't consider divorce because it's too expensive. Especially if you've got little ones. He knows you won't consider divorce, so he says, hey, won't you find somebody in the same place you are? Those of you that are in body pain, won't you just take this for a little while? Won't you just take these pills for a little while, and then before you know it, you're trying to steal them, you're trying to buy them, you're trying to snort them, you're trying to shoot them up, because he got you to take the bait one See, see, but here's the problem. If you try to fix loneliness by becoming sexually sinful, I told you we're going to get adult in here. You try to fix your loneliness with being sexually promiscuous, you will eventually become a slave to the thing you ran to. You were a slave to loneliness, now you're a slave to sex. And see, 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 uh, I got so much I want to say and not enough time to say it. See, see, think about it like this. In the Bible, there were famines, right? And, and when there were famines, there was no food. And people were hungry. And when God's people got hungry, you read it over and over again, they ran somewhere they wasn't supposed to run to. They would run down to Egypt because they was hungry. They would run to their enemy because they was hungry. Some of you are in a marriage and you hungry. Some of you are single and you're hungry. But if you run to the enemy to meet that need, and please, 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 don't you know when they ran down to Egypt, they ate good. Some of you act like just cause the devil's doing the cooking, it won't taste good. Sex will taste great for a while until you become a slave to the thing that you ran to trying to get loose from. Jesus goes into the wilderness and the devil says, I'll get you like I got Jacob. I'll get you like I did Abraham. I'll get you like I got Lot. I got Lot to move right into the middle of debauchery. I'll get you like I got them. But Jesus didn't fall for it. He didn't fall for the sins of the flesh. So he takes him up on a mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. That's the lust of the eye. He says, I'll give you everything you can see. Stupid devil trying to give Jesus kingdoms that he made. <laughs> takes him up on a mountain. He says, all this that you see, I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. But the lust of the flesh didn't work and the lust of the eyes didn't work. So then he tries the pride of life. He says, why don't you go up here on this mountain and throw yourself off, and surely your daddy won't let you fall. Here's what he was doing. This is the pride of life. He says, show off for me. If you really who you say you are, quit stunting and show off. Show me. Show me that you are the son of God. Show me that you got all this connection in heaven. You know, the same way we do today. 
Please like my picture. Please like my filtered picture. That don't really look like me, but please like it. This is the 14th one I put on here today. Please somebody like it and tell me I'm cute. You know the pride of life. Did that hit a little too close to home? I apologize. The second stage of the cycle, first to get you tempted, enticement. The second stage, listen to what James says, is conception. You're about to get pregnant with something. I heard some of the women say, not me. Not that kind of way, pregnant. Listen, this is when you finally commit the thing. You can talk yourself into the craziest mess. This thing right here, if he starts preaching to you, you will talk yourself into stuff you said you would never do. Isn't that what Paul says? He said, I got this infection because I, stuff I don't want to do, I talk myself into I don't even know why I'm doing it. Right here, conception. Okay? This is when you finally go ahead and give in to this thing. This is when you commit the act. Oh, it's thrilling. I'll be the only honest Christian in here. It's not guilt-ridden. Uh-uh. No, guilt comes later. When you first do this, when you first give in, it's exhilarating. That's why you do it. It's a hit of dopamine. It's adrenaline in the veins. You feel so much rush. Because that's what he does. He lives and breathes for the rush. Whether it's sexual perversion, whether it's addictive person, whether it's drinking or gambling or uh, or taking drugs or, or, or whatever it is, this guy lives for adrenaline. And that's what the birth of a habit comes from. After you've conceived it, you can't live without it. You want that rush again and again and again. And James says, now, now, she was a one-time thing. She was a one-night stand. Now she's a habit. She was a one-night stand. Why she got a toothbrush in your bathroom now? Because it has birthed a habit. Hello? It's getting quiet in here. I know I preached a long time. So this guy comes to church on Sunday. And these two are worshiping the Lord together. Oh, how I love you, Jesus. Make sure everybody knows I'm saved. I got a hat on, sporting my church's name, because we're, we're at church together. But here's the problem. He will come to church knowing what he did. Are you with me? And he'll come to the altar and get the prayer team to pray over him. And he will confess, but never repent. He'll say, I'm up here because of the things I've done. But he knows he's going to turn back around and do them again because now sin has become a habit because this thing is in control and not that spirit. So the habit has him. And last but not least, the fourth stage is death. You say, Pastor, I did it and I didn't die. No, but something else did. 
Some of you don't, don't know how close you are to a marriage that's just about to die. Some of you don't know how close you are to financial ruin. Some of you don't know how close you are to a spiritual bankruptcy. Because you have let this infection take over. And you know it's wrong. And in ways you don't even want to do it. But there is something, and we'll talk about this in the next several weeks. There's something going on inside of you that compels you. what you do you just can't seem to get rid of it I'm going to skip a whole lot of this message the book's going to be longer than the sermons was if you think I'm preaching along wait till you see the book because I had to put in all the stuff I didn't even get to preach God gave Israel their own land and all they had to do was go take it Right? When they almost got there, this is one of the most fascinating stories in, in all the Old Testament. When they almost are there, like they're, 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 they can see it. It's, it's, across, it's across the Jordan. Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh look at that river and say, I've come far enough. I know there's blessing over there. I know there's a promise over there. I know everything God wants for me is over there, but I have come far enough. And they stopped. And they said, we're going we're gonna to make our camps right here. Moses, if it's all right with you, we're going to stop right here. And this is where we're going to exist. Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. Are you tracking me? So they lived outside of the promise. They put distance voluntarily between them and what would become Jerusalem. It became such a problem years later that when God had them erect a tabernacle so Israel could come and worship him, he said every year during the, the feast, I want all the men to come to Jerusalem and worship me. Well, Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh was so far away from Jerusalem, they said it's too far for us to come worship God. We'll just build our own temple here in Shiloh. And we will have church here instead of going to where God is. Because God's presence is not as important as my convenience. That's what this guy determines in your life. God's presence is not as important as my convenience. I like the way she makes me feel. I like the way money makes me feel. I like the excitement. I like the thrill. I like the adrenaline rush I get. When this guy is in control, his convenience is more important in your life than God's presence. So they, they built their own temple and they said we will worship God here in Shiloh fast forward a couple hundred years it's Reuben it's Gad and it's half a tribe of Manasseh are you with me 
Reuben and who? Gad, half the tribe of Manasseh. Fast forward a couple hundred years, Jesus steps off a boat in a land of Gerenadines. It's in the land of Gad. Jesus steps off of a boat where a demoniac comes running up to him. This man had lived in the tombs. He cut himself. He was crazy. He was a lunatic. All the town was afraid of him. They hated him. They wanted him gone. They would put him in chains. He would break the chains because he was just full of the demons. And when Jesus spoke to him, he said, Who are you? He said, My name is Legion. For there are many, and there were 5,000, at least 5,000 demons down on the inside of this demoniac. And where did he live? Gad. Gad. Because where there is an absence of God's presence, the devil gets comfortable. Where there's an absence of, they stayed so far away from God's presence because they wanted convenience. This guy wants to live his life all week and come to church on Sunday and praise the Lord. But it is inconvenient to give in to this guy because this guy makes me cut out relationships. He makes me change the music I listen to, he makes me change the stuff I watch on TV. He makes me change the way I talk to my wife and the way I treat my children. This guy, he wants to rule my whole life and it's not convenient. It changes my personality. I can't slap folks when they get sideways with me. This guy's a boss and I, it's not convenient because all my friends like this guy. He's the one that they are comfortable with. And if all I got left is this and all my friends are gone... What do I, what's life worth living? So I'll choose convenience over presence. But the problem is, when there is no presence, the devil gets comfortable. So my solution to somebody this morning, and it's, it's going it's to be a bold step. I get it. Some of you need to move closer. Some of you know that you have been living outside of your blessing, outside of your promise, because you got to the point where you said, this is as far. I love church. Bishop makes me laugh. I love the music. I like the connections here. And the, but this is far enough. I've come far enough. If I give up any more of this guy, people aren't going to recognize me. They're not going to think I'm fun anymore. They're not going to want to be around me. They're not going to like the new me. It's not convenient. And if I give up my convenience for his presence, then what? I'm telling you this morning, we're trying to live an unhindered life. In order for some of you to do that, and I've had to make this decision. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you. I had to move I had to make up my, my mind that nothing was more important than him. Nothing. That I was going to love him with all my heart, with all my might, and with all my strength. I'm going to move closer. God, you can have all of me. Up to this point, you've had some of me. I made it as far as the river, and I said, this is close enough. Because it's any more than this, it's inconvenient. Can I, can I call 
Can I call for some people to come make a commitment to get inconvenienced this morning? Can, can, I make, can I make that our altar service? That some of you need to get inconvenienced? And listen, I know some of you are going to be saying, well, I, I've, been, I've been in church a long time. I didn't ask you how long you've been in church or how many times you've been baptized. I'm asking you, are you as close as you want to be? Do you have the power that you wish you had? Do you have the relationship with the Father that you want? Because if not, it is as simple as this. James 4 and 8 says if you draw close to Him, He will draw close to you. So you need to move closer. It's that simple. And it's going to cause you to sacrifice some stuff. This guy's not going to be happy. You are going to have to drag your version of flesh Bob kicking and screaming up to this altar this morning. Because he is not going to be happy. Because he knows his days are numbered. Every time you move a little closer, more of him. See, I've done got him down to where he don't have no legs and arms. I get this head off of him. I'm free. But whatever your version of a flesh bob is some of you need to drag him up to this altar can I can I make can I make this altar service this morning about coming and becoming getting so close to God it's inconvenient that's what I'm that's that I didn't plan that but that's I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make an altar service this morning for everybody to come and say I let the Holy Ghost inconvenience me I'm tired of living in this cycle I know what's right, I know what's wrong, and I keep messing it up, and I don't want to do that anymore. And I've only given God so much of me, and I'm ready to be inconvenienced by the Holy Ghost. If that's you, would you get up out of your seat and come down to this altar this morning? If you say, I, I, I will allow the Holy Spirit to be an inconvenience in my life. Prayer team, would you come and look at these people flooding this altar? Holy Spirit, do a work in this place right now that only you can do. God, you know, you know what they need. And you, you know what they have held back. You know what every person in this altar has held back from you. And, and I call on your anointing to come into this place right here and right now and make a difference in their life. Don't let them waste a step up to this altar, God, but meet them right now with a life-altering change that when they walk out of this place, they will not be the same. My God in heaven. Do I got any more staff in here? Do I got any more uh, prayer team members? We got a lot of people up here. God, right now, meet them. Meet them. They need you. They're trying to press in. Help them eliminate every stumbling block that would try to keep them out of their promise. Break every barricade that would keep them from their blessing. Remove every thought that exalts itself against you. Oh God. And help them press in. Show them who is in control right now in the name of your son Jesus.